Good evening, everyone. Thank you for practicing so diligently and earnestly today, especially those who are brand new to the practice. It's a pretty courageous undertaking to come to a monastery and try this out. The zendo has become nice and quiet. It's really good to have all this practice energy joined together. You may have noticed that the advantage of practicing in a group is that peer pressure is a very effective spiritual tool. It really helps us, helps stretch us and helps us go further than we could do on our own. A Dharma talk isn't a university lecture. It's something that we listen to with our heart. So without engaging the discriminating mind, without thinking of whether we agree or disagree or how we might uh, refute what the person is saying, like a, a lawyer's type mind. Mm -hmm. Lawyer's training is to be thinking of why what somebody is saying is wrong. So we want to, that's a useful aspect of the mind, but we want to put that aspect aside and just absorb what is, what is said. And some of it will resonate with experiences that you've had. Uh, insights might, might arise. That's nice. Um, and it penetrates to a, to a deeper place where it's carried home and then um, may open up in your life later on. Just like the sutras that we've been chanting. We don't try to understand them with the intellectual mind. But we just chant them and somehow we absorb them as we're chanting them. And then we find later in life, lines will appear in response to a circumstance and illuminate what's happening in our life. I'm going to talk about why we practice. We call this practice, and now you can see why. Because we sit down and we practice following the breath. And we sit down again and we practice following the breath. And we stand up and we walk and we practice following the breath. I always tell people don't get discouraged when your mind wanders off. Because the, one of the most important aspects of practice of strengthening the power of the mind is to reach out to wherever the mind has gone and to bring it back. So it's just like lifting weights. If you just lift the weight and hold it, you don't get the benefit of putting it down, picking it up, putting it down, picking it up, putting it down, picking it up, and the same with the mind. So we actually should, be, should enjoy and be curious about the mind's running away and our ability to, with another aspect of the mind, to recognize that and pick it up and bring it back. Why practice? This is a question that may have arisen in your mind as you've been sitting here these several hours. Why am I practicing? And it might be an especially urgent question for those who are completely new to Zen practice or those who have never sat still for longer than a few minutes before. The question is, why do this? What's the point of sitting still and quieting the mind? Something compelled you to come here this weekend. What was that? 
something very wise inside compelled you to come here this weekend. My teacher's teacher, Yatsutani Roshi, gave five primary reasons that people practice. I'm going to talk about them briefly and then give an example of a meditation tool that could be used to develop that particular aspect of practice. So we'll be trying some different meditations very briefly related to these five reasons. And the mind has this tendency to rank things, but you don't need to rank these reasons. Number one is not better than number five, and number five is not better than number one. They are reasons that arise at different times in our life. The first reason is to enhance the health of the body. It's a basic truth that all of us will become sick and all of us will grow old and all of us will die. There's no way for us to escape these natural events in a human life. But we can take good care of this unique body that we've been given. It's the only body that we have for this lifetime and we would like it to last a long time. We would like it to be healthy as long as it can be. This doesn't seem like such an urgent reason. When I was in my 20s or 30s, it didn't seem like such an urgent reason because my body would do pretty much whatever I asked it to do. But it becomes a more urgent reason as we grow older or in those times when we experience a serious illness, illness like when you get sick with the flu and you suddenly realize how quickly your body's energy can be drained away by a little tiny virus can happen in in hours, these little tiny organisms can make a, a grown man collapse for days. As a physician, I've learned that most illnesses are caused by, or at least very much worsened by, the mind, specifically by anxiety. But we know of a lot of illnesses that are related to stress in the mind headaches, digestive problems, ulcers, heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, anorexia, back pain. Everybody knows that these have a strong psychological component. In general, the body has a wisdom of its own. When I was a biology major in college, we studied a book that was not modern at the time, but was uh, still very very wonderful book called The Wisdom of the Body. We could not invent a computer that could do the things that our body does, even one part of our body. It's amazingly complex. And our body in general gets along better if we just feed it well, exercise it well, rest it well, and then leave it alone. When we try to interfere and meddle with our body, generally it creates problems. But usually we can't leave it alone, so maybe we get a little headache, and then our mind says, huh, we had a headache last week too. Why are we getting all these headaches? Maybe we have a brain tumor. Remember those warning signs that you saw on TV? Headaches, brain tumor, yep. I think we have a brain tumor. Should we go to the doctor? No. I'd rather not get any bad news. Anyway, we're practically dead already. 
probably were only going to last for another year or two. Then we imagine ourselves wasting away and that person who jilted us, now they're going to feel really sorry when they come to my funeral. (laughs) And then pretty soon we find that we're getting teary, thinking of our own funeral and how sad people will be. And our headache gets worse from all the anxiety about having a brain tumor or not, or from crying over our own imaginary funeral. So our headache gets worse, fed by our habit of thinking, thinking too much, mind poisoning, I call it. There are now hundreds of studies showing how beneficial meditation is for the body and for so many diseases. So the model of mindfulness-based stress reduction meditation now has been proven in many scientific studies to help all kinds of diseases from asthma to psoriasis. Doesn't, pretty much doesn't matter what organ we're talking about. It can be benefited by meditation. And the body is a wonderful subject for meditation. The body is always responding to the present moment, interacting with the events of the present moment. If we are aware of the sensations that make up our sense of there is a body that sits and breathes, then we will be doing a beautiful meditation, highly recommended by the Buddha for the whole of his teaching career, called body as body. Unfortunately, we tend to have negative feelings about our bodies. Particularly the parts of our bodies that we don't like, that we feel critical of or have judged not to be attractive enough, or the parts of our body that give us trouble. Those are the parts of our bodies we tend to have negative feelings towards. But just like you, the whole of you, doesn't thrive in a negative environment, your body does not thrive in a negative thought environment. So, to counteract that tendency to direct negative energy, negative thought energy, towards our body, we practice a meditation called Awareness of the Body with Gratitude. Now, usually we scan through the body very slowly, one part at a time when we do this meditation. But today we'll just do, tonight we'll just do one, one part. So I'll give you a brief example of this meditation. So if you would sit comfortably with your eyes closed and just become aware of the chest. So aware of the movements of the chest and within the chest. You might become aware of the ribs moving, rib cage. Backbone, is it moving? Touches on the skin of the chest. Sense of lightness or heaviness or expansion or contraction. And then focus the awareness on the heart. What are the sensations that tell you you have a physical heart? So please rest the mind's awareness in those sensations that 
tell you there is a, a heart in this chest. And then before we leave our awareness of this heart, we say, thank you, heart, for, and then just see if anything arises in that blank space. So silently say, thank you, heart, for. Now pick a part of the body that's maybe you don't like or is troubling you right now. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Please you move your awareness into that part of the body. What are the sensations that tell you that that party, body part is there? So are there temperature sensations or movement or pressure sensations? Move the awareness into that part of the body that you may not like or is causing you trouble right now. Our awareness is almost like a warmth resting in that area. You could imagine gently breathing into that area. And before we leave, thank you to this part. Thank you for. See if anything arises. If not, it's fine. This is a meditation that can be done to improve the health of the body. The second reason for practicing Zen is to improve the health of the mind. This might surprise you because maybe you thought that Zen was getting rid of the mind or making the mind blank. Many people have that misconception that we're trying to make the mind a complete blank. The, the human mind is really a wonderful thing. It has a unique ability. It can think. So it can make plans for the future. So we just don't stumble along in life randomly, bumped around. It can go over events of the past, and it can learn from our mistakes. And it can fantasize. And because it can fantasize, it can invent 
So it can invent new music, new art, new medicines, new architecture, new plays, new scientific theories. The mind can create all kinds of things, but the human mind can also create a lot of suffering for humans and for other beings. The human mind can think us into anger. It can think us into new ways of killing those beings that we dislike or want to get rid of. The human mind can think us into jealousy. It can think us into <coughs> exhaustion. It can think us into all kinds of addictions. When we think too many thoughts, we become quite confused. And we lose track of our true path in life. And that makes us unhappy. When we think too many thoughts, we lose our natural poise and confidence. And we become self-conscious. What are people thinking of me? We become anxious and fearful. What if there's a burglar in the parking lot? And when we think too many thoughts, we become tired because thinking takes energy, a lot of energy. We've become so addicted to thinking that we forget that our hearts and our guts have important information for us too, very important information. So we lose track of our heart and we lose track of our body, our gut, our gut instincts. When our mind is very active, we stop paying attention to our heart and then compassion shrivels. We tend to think all day long and even at night our mind is active, gathering up all of our miscellaneous worries from the day or from the week and then mixing them in with ancient fears and producing nightmares and weird dreams. And we toss at night and wake up and go back to sleep and we dream and we wake up tired. And we are tired because the mind has been so active all night long. And it doesn't let the body get a rest either. So meditation is our best opportunity for giving the mind a true rest. Somehow we've lost track of this. In ancient times, people had many opportunities to meditate, sitting around a fire, lying on a hillside looking at the stars while you were guarding the sheep or the cattle, standing by a stream fishing, hour after hour trying to merge with the mind of the fish and the mind of the streams, hunting, moving so quietly through the jungle, so that the animals aren't aware that you are there. These are all forms of meditation, which we've lost in our busy world. In meditation, we give the mind a much needed rest. We actually ask it, please, to rest. It's been overworked, it needs to rest. Every day we need to clear out and refresh the mind. 
It's just like taking a shower to clean and refresh the body or brushing our teeth to clean and refresh our mouth. We need to clean and refresh our mind. It feels so good to bathe the mind. One of my friends used to say that when they went to a retreat, they felt like they'd taken their mind to the laundromat. And when the mind is clear, then we can react to situations appropriately without having to think a lot. When the mind is clear and we're studying, we can take in information very easily because there's space in there. It's very nice to know how to meditate when you are taking an exam and you come across a question that you can't answer. Instead of panicking, the mind goes whirling, makes it worse. Just sit and breathe for a minute. See what floats up. It's amazing what floats up. So let's try a short meditation for clearing the mind. So if you would again settle into a comfortable posture. Our experience of the mind, what we call the natural mind, in meditation is that it's huge, vast, and that it's clear, and that it has a brightness, that is, it isn't dark and depressed. It has a lightness or a brightness to it. So let's begin by opening our awareness to the room. Usually we're so focused on the objects in the room, ourselves and our cushion and the floor in front of us, people in the room. But let's open our awareness to the spaciousness of the room. So aware of the floor and the walls and the ceiling and all of the space it contains. Within that space, there are some objects. But please hold the awareness on the space. Now do the same thing with your own mind. Become aware of the spaciousness of your own mind. bigger than the objects in the mind, the objects being thoughts that float through, emotions that arise, sensations that we're aware of. But instead of those filling the mind screen, imagine them as little icons down in the corner. And the rest of the screen is large very large, clear, and it has a subtle brightness. Once in a while, an icon by itself 
opens up and a lot of thoughts fill up the screen, words, emotions, pictures, blah, blah, blah. And then we remember, ah, I can shrink that down. I can shrink that down to a small icon again. And I can just rest in the spaciousness of this lovely screen. Not just two-dimensional, but very big, stretching out in all directions. This is an exercise for clearing the mind. The mind ground, we say. The mind behind each individual mind. The universal mind, the natural mind. The third reason to practice is develop, to develop concentration. The mind has a power that we seldom tap into. The mind has amazing powers. This power can be cultivated, can be grown with practice so that the mind becomes like a strong beam that can cut through confusion, just like a laser, and can see to the bottom of issues. This power of concentration we call joriki or samadhi power. So you may have read about that or heard about that. It can be used in all aspects of life. The obvious application that everybody knows of is the martial arts. Oh, I saw a, a video on the Shaolin monks. You may have seen them. And amazing powers of concentration developed over years of practice. Now, this video was about two fingers in, where they developed the, the strength of their, of their two fingers, the thumb and the first finger, and they can actually stand upside down on, on these two fingers, focusing all the energy in their, in their fingers. And there's one monk in his 70s who still has the ability to stand on one one finger is upside down with his feet against the wall, but his, all of his body weight is on this one finger. You've so, seen people break, break stones or bricks or with that amazing power of, of focused energy. So we can focus the body energy and the mind energy in that way. So it can be applied to all kinds of activities, playing music. People have had the experience often of getting lost in music, becoming one with the music, lo losing track of themselves completely. Or in sports, breaking through the wall, that's that experience. Or in writing a paper. We need that power of concentration to remove distractions and get down to it, gather in the information, sift through it, put it down. 
when the breath and the body and the mind are all unified, we can accomplish a lot more than we think is possible. All of us. It doesn't matter how old we are. So much lies latent in us that we never tap into in a human lifetime. It has to be cultivated just like the Shaolin monks. And we have to practice if we want to tap into that power of the unified body, breath, and mind and use it in our work. So let's try an example of concentration. This time I'd like you to keep your eyes open and pick a spot on the floor. Sometimes we put a little piece of paper on the floor, but just, just pick a spot on the floor that you can see. Uh, look at it with the beam of the eyes. Imagine that the beam of the eyes is directed towards this spot, but don't um, tense your eyes or the muscles around the eyes or the forehead. Just keep the eyes still and the gaze somewhat soft, but focused on that spot. So if you can imagine like in a comic that there is a beam, beams coming out of your eyes, those beams are focused on that spot. So you're looking purposely at the spot, but not with tension. Now you imagine that the breath flows directly to that spot the out-breath, and the in-breath comes back from that spot. So eyes and breath are aligned, and now the mind stream, imagine that the stream of awareness, the mind stream, is also focused on that spot, single-mindedly focused on that spot, awareness of that spot. Breath and eyes are helping you. almost like you could see through the floorboards. It's almost like those experiments with the magnifying glass where you focus the sun's rays in a small spot and you could even ignite paper The trick is to remain concentrated without becoming tense.
Now please move that beam of awareness to the tips of your thumbs. Touch the tips of your thumbs together. We usually touch them in this kind of a mudra. Just lightly touch the tips of your thumbs together. You can close your eyes if it's helpful. You won't be able to see the tips of the thumbs. You'll be able to imagine them. And hold your awareness in that spot where the two thumbs touch. Even if it gets vague, hold your awareness there. Now move your awareness, your concentration focus to the bottom of the big toe on the right foot. Open the eyes and back to the spot on the floor. Eyes and breath and mind stream all aligned. Spot on the floor. So this is an exercise both in what we would call concentration and also flexibility. We can train the mind to concentrate its energy and penetrate into a question or an issue when it's appropriate. And we can also train it to be flexible so it can be picked up cleanly and put down someplace else. Usually we drag all kinds of emotions and thoughts from one thing to another we can teach the mind to be flexible, malleable, the Buddha called it. The fourth reason to practice Zen is to explore and to resolve for ourselves what we call the great matter, the matter of life and death. Everyone, everyone has deep existential questions What happens after we die? Where were we before we were born? Did we have an existence before we were born? What is the purpose of my life, of any human life, but especially my life? And will I be able to discover the purpose of my life and begin to fulfill it before it's over? No one else can answer these questions for you. You have to find the answers for yourself. No one else's answers will satisfy you. You can look in a book and people will give you answers. I can give you answers. Purpose of your life is to learn patience. Purpose of your life is to learn kindness. Purpose of your life is to be compassionate in all situations. The purpose of your life. But that doesn't, there's no 
juice to that. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't satisfy. We say it's like a painting of cakes, of cookies. A painting of cookies, or words written about cookies, aren't the same as eating cookies when you're hungry. You have to find these answers for yourself. And the answers are already there. They lie within the question. You couldn't ask the question if the answer weren't already there. If we are able to sit quietly with the body and then concentrate the mind, we can use these questions like a drill, to drill down through the layers of confusion to the place where the individual limited and cloudy mind down below that to the place where wisdom flows in each person. And when that wisdom emerges into our awareness, we call it insight. So these are two basic aspects of practice. Samadhi, quieting the mind, and then out of that arises insight. And a deep experience of of a truth that's very meaningful to, to us and so meaningful that it can change our life direction. We also call this wisdom beyond wisdom, wisdom beyond temporary knowledge. So all the knowledge that we acquire in the world is, is very good, it's very useful. We, but we stuff it in, you know, we use it, and then the world moves on and it changes, it becomes obsolete, then we have to learn more knowledge. And it changes and we have to learn more knowledge. So we're always having to empty it out. Trouble is we don't empty it out. We drag it around with us, a lot of baggage in our mind. So meditation can help us clear out the old stuff and be ready to learn the new stuff without being afraid. And eventually, all of that knowledge leaks out too. It doesn't serve us as we get older, but wisdom can serve us. So we all know people who are older who maybe don't know how to use a computer. They don't know what YouTube is. They don't know what an iPod is but they're very wonderful and wise people because they've tapped into that wisdom beyond wisdom. Meditation practice can unlock our natural clarity of mind, our natural wisdom. Each person has it. It is our birthright, this wisdom. So let's do an exercise, a brief exercise related to this aspect of practice. So get comfortable. We're going to do what Dogen Zenji, a wonderful Zen teacher from the 1200s, called turning the light around. So we're going to turn the mind's light inward to try to look at the mind itself. Some people find they can do this by asking the question, who is thinking? Trying to look behind the thoughts to see who is thinking. Or to ask the question, from where do thoughts emerge? 
way I like to do this practice is to imagine that I'm sitting at a, a spring, like a spring of water, but this is a spring that gives rise, that bubbles up thoughts, gives rise to thoughts. So it's the source of thoughts. I'm sitting at the source of thoughts, and I'm looking at it with the mind itself. So the mind is looking at the source of thoughts within the mind, And I'm sitting and watching, trying to see how does a thought arise? Where does it come from? We have to sit quite quietly to be aware of this subtle process of how does the thought arise? We might not catch it for a long time. quiet enough to see where thoughts come from. So this is a whole meditation of its own, very interesting meditation, turning the light within. The fifth reason to practice is to be able to help others. We are all very aware of the immense amount of suffering in the world. It used to be that we were only aware of the difficulties in our family or our village or our small town for hundreds of years, thousands of years of human evolution. That was the extent of our awareness of human suffering, but now the extent of human suffering pours in through our eyes and our ears from television and radio and newspapers. Everything that we hear, that we read, that we study. We're overwhelmed by it. Literally, we're overwhelmed by it. Our, this organism wasn't made to handle so much suffering, the whole world's suffering. So we have to use meditation as a way to enlarge ourselves, as a way to work with our knowledge of human suffering. How can human beings make such messes? How can human beings be so cruel? Our hearts are moved by all of the suffering that we are aware of. Our hearts are moved to do something to help, but it's hard to know what to do. Do we give money to the man who's begging on the corner? Well, maybe he's gonna buy alcohol with it and then maybe he'll beat his child. So is that helpful? 
Or do we give money, make donations to a political party? Or to a church? Or to a charity? I read a lot of stories about how they're corrupt. Scams. A lot of scams out there. Is that really helpful? What good is it to try to help, to try to end war? World War II was supposed to be the war to end wars. We ended the war in Vietnam, but we haven't ended war. What does it, what good does it do to work against discrimination? Been working against discrimination for so long and discrimination still exists. When we know so much, when we think so much about all these problems, we end up becoming skeptical and critical and we can feel our hearts closing down. Some days we don't like anybody. We don't like ourselves, we don't like our friends, we don't like our family. And above all, we don't like ourselves for being not compassionate. So it becomes this vicious cycle. Feeling and then thinking and then not wanting to feel and then being upset with ourselves for not wanting to feel, not knowing what to do. Meditation practice can help to open our hearts. Our hearts close down in response to the natural events of a human life, the wounding that happens in a human life. It's inevitable. We can't go through life and not be wounded, not be hurt. And then everyone else's wounding also hurts us too. So we become protective of our tender hearts and we put armor up around them, but then that closes out everybody else. So then we feel alienated and unloving and unloved. So meditation practice can help us to open our hearts. We have many specific practices to work with the heart to unlock our natural compassion and kindness. So let's try one of those. Get into a comfortable position. And let the breath be natural, but imagine that the breath (coughs) The breath flows in directly into the chest, into the heart. <coughs> and then on the out breath, silently say, May I be at ease. So the in breath is quiet, but the out breath, we're silently saying, May I be at ease.
Now on the out-breath, we, we send that same wish to everyone in the room. Silently saying on the out-breath, may everyone here be at ease. And imagining them so. come back to yourself. May I be at ease on the out-breath. Now the wish for everyone here, may everyone here be at ease. With this meditation it helps to relax any tension in the face by smiling just a little bit. Now we spread that wish out into the earth below us. May all creatures in the earth below be at ease. And above, may all creatures in the sky above be at ease. expand this field of metta, loving-kindness, out as far as you wish, including towns, cities, the globe of the earth, could stretch beyond the earth, into space, every creation or being that's encountered, may it be at ease. 
you. The sixth reason to undertake spiritual practice is that it will lead us home. So there are the reasons of improving, improving our physical health, improving the clarity and health of our mind, and improving our powers of concentration, both physical and mental. improving our ability to look at these deep questions of life and to reveal our own wisdom and to un- to open our heart of kindness, compassion, which is also innate to us. And then another reason to find our way home Many people have the feeling that they've somehow wandered away from home. The feeling of being uh, alienated or being a stranger in a, in a strange land or a stranger in a familiar land. The feeling that there's a gap between us and everybody else. We don't know how to close that gap. Or there's a restlessness because there's a feeling that home is very close by, but somehow we can't access it, we can't get to it. Maybe we've glimpsed it at times. We know that it's there, but we can't find the door. The door seems to be unavailable to us, invisible most of the time. They have those movies about time travelers, you know, where suddenly a portal opens and shimmers for a few seconds and you've got to make it through before it closes. It's like that. The portals are everywhere, but somehow we can't see them or find our way through them. Once in a while, we do. And that just increases our longing for home. These doorways are covered by entangling vines and brambles These vines and brambles are made up of our weedy, fast-growing, twisted thoughts and emotions. The doorway is hidden by all of our excursions away from now. The doorway is indeed close. It's closer than our breath closer than our eyes and our heart and our blood. It exists right here and right now, the doorway. It's actually always open. When we can sit quietly, resting in the present moment, we maximize the opportunity that that door will open or that we will experience it as open. It's always open. There actually isn't even a door. One teacher has said, all sickness is homesickness. All sickness is homesickness. (coughs) Home is here, right here, in this place, in this time. It's the only place it is. 
home is calling to you from within you. That's why you came here. Please, for all of these reasons, pick up this beautiful practice, this most wonderful adventure, these amazing tools of practice, and use them in your life to turn problems into happiness and ease. Thank you.